I'm Alex Mozed, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech monopolies. Got a few great topics for today. We're coming up to the end of the year, the end of 2021. Um, so at the end of the show, we're going to talk about uh, kind of marketplaces in review, marketplaces uh, throughout 2021, and, and kind of take a retrospective on that. First, though, we're going to start off with not truly uh, true tech monopoly status marketplace, uh, but still very large public marketplace. And they've been playing some interesting, funny games. And that uh, marketplace is called eBay. So eBay just came out, a press release, not trying to draw too much attention to it. eBay announces change to GMV definition and releases updated historical metrics. If you don't know what GMV is, GMV stands for Gross Merchandise Volume. It basically is a platform metric, platform-specific metric, not regulated by like GAAP, for example, which are the accounting principles that public companies have to prescribe by. Revenue has very specific definitions for GAAP and tax code and and financial uh, requirement, reporting requirements. GMV is much more of a gray area. It's a new financial term specific to marketplaces because when you have third-party sellers whether on eBay or Amazon, that are selling products on your marketplace, they sell a product for $100, that's not revenue, right? What the marketplace makes in revenue from a sale by a third-party seller is, in eBay's case, like 10%. They'll make $10 take rate on a $100 sale of an item. That is revenue, the $10, the $20 take rate. The GMV says, though, as a marketplace, I still want to be able to report what is the total volume what is the total throughput going through my marketplace? So that would be my one-piece sales, the products that I buy and resell off my balance sheet as a marketplace, which eBay actually doesn't do any of that, by the way. That's their whole pitch. We don't compete with our third-party sellers. They don't have one-piece sales. And then the GMV is including one-piece sales and three-piece sales, total throughput. In the past, with linear business models like Walmart, what they reported as sales was the same thing as their total throughput, right? All the stuff that Walmart sold was stuff that they were buying, taking on balance sheet, and then reselling. This whole concept of GMV is really just new in the past 20, 25 years, specific to the marketplace business model. You know, you read it, it's really short. It's like three paragraph, kind of like, hey, don't worry about this, says eBay. We, we, you know, we updated this definition. Updated its definition to GMV to include all paid transactions on its platform, inclusive, inclusive of shipping fees and taxes. Okay. Uh, some people are arguing, should they include shipping fees and taxes or not? Whatever. Just give it to them because there's a bigger point coming. Previously, eBay reported, now here's the meat eBay reported GMV regardless of whether the buyer and seller actually consummated the transaction. Hold up. Yes. Let's read that one more time. eBay, previously, eBay reported GMV regardless of whether the buyer and seller actually consummated the transaction. Yeah. Uh-huh. They, they wrote that. This change has been enabled by the increased visibility derived from the company's transition to managing payments globally. So what they're saying is, hey, now that we are facilitating payments on what people are actually buying on our marketplace, 
now we can actually more accurately <laughs> report whether or not something truly sold. This site, Ecommerce Bytes, which I'm going to put some more context on who these people are in a second, covered this. And sellers have long questioned how eBay determines GMV. Basically, if you think about it, why is there ambiguity in the first place? Because eBay is not like an Amazon, right? It has a, a bidding, an auction function, right? So could you have a transaction, uh, an auction end, and does the transaction actually go through or not? In some cases, and what turns out to be in billions of cases, that transaction actually never went through. But eBay still counted it as GMV. I guess they were saying, well, you know, the transaction could have gone through because the auction ended, but but they didn't actually know if it did. So it looks like they just said, well, yeah, we're just going to assume that it did go through and count it in our GMV. So you had auctions ending, which then automatically got lumped into the category of GMV. But, you know, there was no payment that followed through on it. eBay has been doing payments for much longer than just 2021, gang. So they had visibility on this, but finally they've decided to, to update this at the end of 2021. So very peculiar, right? And you say, oh, why, why, why were they so sluggish to make this update? Hmm. Well, then you scroll down and in the press release, they show a bunch of uh, updated GMV numbers. And you look at these numbers and you're kind of like, well, it says GMV as reported. And then it says GMV at FX neutral. Also unnecessarily confusing. But then you say, well, I, I don't know. Where is versus prior year quarter? Like, are they showing me what the GMV used to be? Um, and then showing me what they updated it to be? It's not clear. And then you read their, the third paragraph in the press release. They say the updated GMV definition has an immaterial impact on previously reported GMV. Please refer to the table at the back of this release for a restatement of historical metrics. Okay, so they said, well, it's immaterial impact. And then you can look at the, you can look at the bottom of this press release and you can see the updated stats. Right? So I, look at the, I see the updated stats, but I don't see what the alleged immaterial originally reported stats were. It's not spelled out for me. So you got to go into eBay's annual report. So I went to their site. Go to their annual report. Okay. Boom. Now, here I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the annual report. And so now I can see what they had reported. In 2020, they reported $100 billion in GMV. In 2019, they reported $85.5 billion in GMV. In 2018, they reported a little under $90 billion in GMV. Okay. Interesting. Then you got to go back to the press release. <laughs> And then you, you have to add, you know, and then you have to compare and contrast, right? So let's, let's do it, okay? So thanks for making it easy on me, eBay. So $100 billion in GMV for 2020. eBay's immaterial updated version of GMV gives them $87 billion in GMV. That's a $13 billion difference. Don't know if I would define that as immaterial. <laughs> kind of seems pretty material to me. Like 13 billion on 87 billion of what it actually was, a uh, hundred of what it was reported as. 
You're telling me that's immaterial? I don't know about that, guys. Okay, let's do 2019. In the annual report, reported, originally reported, $85.5 billion. Updated press release in this wonky format, $72 billion. Another $13 billion difference. Okay, so they're two for two on $13 billion differences. This is even more, right? What's, uh, that's an 18% swing, right? Um, it was actually $72 billion, but they reported it over 18% higher at $85.5 billion. It's not immaterial. Okay, let's do the last year of updated. So about $75.5 billion is the new report. And the originally reported number was just a touch under 90 billion. So they actually, they outdid themselves. They're now at close to 14, 15 billion of immaterial difference in GMV reporting. Oof, yikes, ouch, 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 ouch. So let's add it all up. They're at $40 billion, $40 billion GMV correction. On $275 billion of GMV, they actually did more like $235 billion of GMV instead of $275 billion of GMV. And, and then you have to remember, they're also including uh, sales tax and shipping in those numbers. They're doing everything they can to, to shrink the gap. If you'd taken out taxes, for example, you know, you're now definitely over, um, over $40 billion in, in difference, probably closer to 45 So, wow, definitely not immaterial by any stretch of the imagination. And just to right, close this out, so it's this e-commerce bites, which, you know, right away wrote this article covering this very kind of uh, deliberately under the radar press release that eBay issued. They didn't even spell it out as clearly as this, but you know they did hint at some funny business here. This was the site which these eBay executives ultimately went to jail for harassing security employees. Not allegedly, that should be struck. They did orchestrate deliveries of live cockroaches, pornographic videos, and a mask of a bloody pig's head to one or two of these bloggers on this site, e-commerce bites, because they were critical of eBay. And I guess these eBay executives had concocted a story that like Amazon was paying e-commerce bites to be critical of eBay. It's crazy. And then, you know, they leapt into action to go after these bloggers. So the bloggers have rung true, stayed on top of, of eBay's uh, shenanigans and to the tune of uh, about $40 billion worth of shenanigans in just the three years that they decided to restate. So it's actually been going on for much longer. And they've had payments for much longer than just a few years, guys. So they knew this and deliberately decided not to do anything about it. Okay, next topic. We've got uh, a new, it's funny how they do this, right? Reddit announces confidential submission of their S1 to the SEC. So they announce the 
submission of a confidential document. Okay. Reddit's going public. And, you know, we've talked in the past about how Reddit executives don't really have control of their community. Um, There's a bunch of these super hosts, super admins, which have staged basically like walkouts and, and have been able to force the hand of management at Reddit as it relates to content censorship decisions, which ultimately went in the favor of being more censorship friendly rather than less, the wrong direction, I might add. And instead, these super admins basically said, hey, if you don't ban these communities, we are going to like black out our subreddits. And that's going to hurt Reddit's advertising ability and revenue and all these kinds of things, right? So the super admins have created some massive like union of banded together kind of uh, allegiance. And when faced with, you know, other topics or thoughts or ideas on the platform that they don't agree with, well, then they basically like hold the actually Reddit at large and Reddit executives hostage, and now ultimately Reddit investors hostage to comply with their draconian 1984 thought policing or else. Um, So while we might think that, yes, great, another content platform entering the public arena to, you know, provide another source of alternative free speech content platform uh, possibilities, um, Yes, we are actually met with the exact opposite, unfortunately. Another interesting dynamic for Reddit and, and something that you know I've been very bullish on, Reddit as being an example of a traditional media, you know, traditional incumbent, large enterprise, embracing platform innovation. Reddit was actually acquired by Condé Nast over 15 years ago for about $10 million while Reddit has remained private, has probably put around an additional $30 million of investment into the company. So Condé Nast, I don't know, even if it's 40 million, let's say Condé Nast is into this thing for 50 million bucks, okay? And now at Reddit's target valuation of over $15 billion, the Newhouse family, which owns Condé Nast, which is then the, the, the holding company is called Advanced Publications, Advanced Publications and the Newhouse family will ultimately make a multi-billion dollar profit, a few billion dollars. They've sold some shares off over the years, like when they let Tencent into the company. Let's say they've got around 28% ownership at uh, $15 billion. That's about $4.2 billion dollars. On an investment of call it 50 million bucks, let's round up 50 million bucks to make 4.2 billion. I'd say that's pretty good. And that's roughly, I think, in, in, in the ballpark of accurate here. Um, not bad. Very risky to go buy the company, have to then put another 30 million dollars into this thing. We go check out some of our older videos where we go really deep into exactly how, what did Reddit have to do? What did advanced publication have to do in order to breathe life back into the company? The company was not in a good place if it sold for $10 million uh, many, many years ago. So uh, we've gone much deeper into that topic, but now really coming full circle on it, $50 million investment, $4.2 billion, roughly uh, based upon a $15 billion 
valuation at if you know assuming they go public and they kind of hold that price um uh, upon upon issuing the ipo pretty great return pretty phenomenal example of a traditional media business trying to figure out what do we do with new digital media business models making a bet and and crushing it frankly despite all the misguided approach from current management on how to handle content censorship and handling that in completely the wrong way. But also not surprising since they took 10 cent communist money to the tune of $150 million. And you know, gave 10 cent a bunch of special privileges. And ultimately it's not just 10 cent, it's the CCP. You take 10 cents money, you're taking President Xi's money and they're going to want certain goodies for that. And that's going to change the board. And that's going to change how you think about cultivating a culture and a community of content creation and, 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 and what is allowed and what is not. And ultimately, you know, they have gone more draconian and thought policing than they should have and how history will ultimately reflect that. A lot of forces at play for how Reddit has gone down a, a quite unfortunate content censorship path, like many others. Next topic is Amazon partnering with... <laughs> The Chinese propaganda arm, a common thread, a common, very unfortunate theme that we have seen, which is whether it's big tech or just big American business succumbing to the corruption that is working with communists, something that has kind of been accepted to be in vogue in the past 20 or 30 years with the U.S. wanting to help bring China into the global market. We've now made it politically acceptable. It used to be a big no-no. Can't go work with communists. They're the enemy. And here's the interesting thing, though, on this. And I'm going to go much deeper into Reuters has a great piece here, really going deep into Amazon's involvement with China, which you actually, honestly, to me, at, at first blush, I, I was kind of surprised there was much involvement at all between Amazon and China. So we're going to dig deeper into this. But here's my take on it, actually. Obviously, I don't like communists. I don't approve of working with communists. Um, I don't think that U.S. companies should be beholden to communist countries and, and to enable communists to advance their political control through the use of, you know, Western business. But anyway, despite all of that, I actually think Amazon's flirtation <clears throat> and and cooperation with the CCP, it might actually be a net net positive for the United States. Recognizing that China and the CCP are our true enemy. We are currently in information warfare with China. There's no question about it. I've had many guests on the show, uh, generals on the show, heads of the CIA on the show, um, you know, uh, dominant political figures on the show, all saying the same thing. We are at war with China. And so you have to look at it and say, well, yeah, I mean, Amazon is letting the wolf into the hen house a little bit. We're going to go deeper into exactly what they're doing. But at the same time, there's a quid quo pro here. And China's now also allowing Amazon into China. And that trade actually, for now, might actually be more in the U.S. and Amazon's favor than in China's. But uh, let's dig into it. Basically, here it is. In order for China 
to allow Amazon's Kindle business unit to sell Kindles in the country. Amazon need to give the CCP, you know, cut them in on a little bit of the action. And so they launched this thing called China Books, which has now come to offer more than 90,000 books for sale. Um, not just obviously in China, but abroad. That's what China wants to do. They want to shape uh, people's opinion, which they do very, very well through, particularly through Chinese tech monopolies that they own, and then use that influence abroad to shape people's opinion. Also, with the 50 Cent ar Army and many other tactics that they have in their arsenal, which we've covered many times on the show. But now they're saying, hey, Amazon's going to push our Chinese propaganda to the tune of now 90,000 books. And, um, okay, yeah, we can let you sell the Kindle in China. And so that happened over the past, say, 15 years, you know, early 2000s. And they had a big press release, like 2011, 2012, about China books, all this stuff. The article goes on to talk about how, you know, China books actually isn't selling that many books. Amazon's had to return some of the hard copies of the books back to China because they're taking up space in, in Amazon's warehouses, which is music to my ears. You know, there is a downside to this, right? Like the books are making like, like uh, <clears throat> Xinjiang, which is where China has enslaved over a million Uyghurs in China books. Well, Xinjiang is a beautiful place. One book extols life in Xinjiang. The book Incredible Xinjiang discusses an online comedy show situated in the region. The book quotes an actor who plays a Uyghur country bumpkin, I don't know, saying that ethnicity is not a problem there. Yeah. There's no concentration re-education camps in, in Xinjiang, right? These droids are not the ones you're looking for, right? Books talking, you know, about COVID-19 not being, not coming from China and not being China's problem. China didn't do anything wrong. I mean, ridiculous stuff. This virus came from China. China has handled themselves like a little child, completely, completely mishandled this, has lied to the world, has taken absolute advantage of the world, and, and cost millions of people their lives, directly related to how they have mishandled this entire pandemic. Completely ridiculous. So you get the idea. It's Chinese propaganda that Amazon has now condoned and is pushing on behalf of the CCP. Now, just that trade-off alone, China books to sell Kindles? I'm not seeing it. Trade-off doesn't make sense to me. But you dig deeper into this rapport, and this is the thing that, that tips it in, in, tips the calculus, at least in my opinion, which is Amazon continued its Chinese expansion in 2013, announcing the introduction in Beijing of AWS, Amazon Web Services. At the time, no Chinese law regulated cloud services. In 2016, China began to take actions that made it more difficult for AWS to operate. Basically, what Amazon has done is set up like franchises and had these locally run Chinese companies basically kind of like operate and regulate, and obviously do all the content censorship on behalf of the CCP. But AWS is, a, is actually a player in China and no idea, no idea. And the only reason that this is happening is obviously... Amazon is having their kind of local Chinese franchises take down all the content that, that the CCP doesn't like. Okay, obviously. Is there any real IP in, in like managing commoditized cloud servers at scale? Like maybe a little, but certainly nothing that ch the large Chinese tech monopolies haven't figured out for themselves. And you say, okay, well, like 
AWS is is kind of a player in China. And what are we giving up? We're letting China books go and push like 90,000 junky propaganda titles on people. Okay. But like we have AWS in China. Hmm. You know, yeah, I actually think I would take that trade. Then the article goes on to talk about, it's really well done report here, how then the Chinese government has now tried to make asks of Amazon to take down content outside of China. And Amazon has actually pushed back on that. And maybe they've given a little bit of ground, but for the most part, they've told China to go to hell, which I love. They were trying to get stuff taken down um, on IMDb, which Amazon owns. Um, the the like movie you know information website um but look at this aws tiktok is on aws i don't know videos for surveillance firm hickvision which i guess is big is on aws um a lot of these multinationals operating in china nike samsung and philips are on aws and aws is expanding in china so obviously you know i like just a straight, hard decoupling. But you also have to ask yourself and say, well, you know, if we give a little bit of access to the the communists, but we get more access, you know, maybe they're missing something. Maybe China's actually got the goods on on Amazon and and my calculus is off. So that, that could also be, I don't have perfect information. But China Books, AWS in China, I'll take that trade. I actually like that trade. I like that trade. So let's jump into uh, Marketplace Pulse's year in review. This is a huge deep dive on 2021. Number of interesting insights here in terms of, I think, really highlighting Shopify's role, kind of marketplace role, even though they're not a marketplace yet still showing the amount of volumes and weight that they throw around in the world of e-commerce and and GMV, even though they don't really have proper GMV. That's one interesting highlight here. Also talk about the role of Chinese sellers on Amazon, unfortunately, and and that very dominant presence that is, is not being chipped away at. The broken supply chain, common theme, does not seem to be fixed. Target's inability to get their act together on Marketplace. Talked about that one for a while. Have not done anything on that. Really pathetic showing by Target. Let's look at some of the charts. Let's look at some of the visuals. Actual sales versus expected sales before the pandemic. This is US e-commerce sales. So you can see here, boom, Q1 2020. And then, you know, just look at this shoot up. You had in uh, Q4 of 2020, right? Holiday season, actual sales of 235, 236 billion is for all US e-commerce versus expected of around 205 billion. And that lead has continued. Um, It's narrowed a little bit in, in Q3 of 2021, actual sales of 205 billion versus expected of 185 billion before the pandemic. So the gap is somewhat shrinking in terms of actual and expected, but it still exists. 
pandemic has definitely benefited Shopify in terms of the acceleration of that long tail of, you know, smaller, mid-sized independent businesses needing to figure out e-commerce yesterday. And you can see that very clearly here on this graph. Actual Shopify GMV, basically before the pandemic, 17.4 billion GMV. Now at 41.8 billion. Whereas Shopify was expecting to have by their own projection around 33, 34 billion in GMV in that quarter, not in aggregate, but just in that quarter, Q3 of 2021, right? So a more than call it 20% gain of where they expected to be to where they are. And these are massive numbers, right? To have that kind of differential over 20% gains. Now this is hilarious. He, he plots out, <laughs> he plots out eBay GMV, but I don't know if he has the, uh, the recently updated eBay GMV numbers, which have actually come down quite a bit. Etsy GMV just exploding. Just Etsy, just huge beneficiary of the pandemic, just on fire. We've talked about how they've now used the pandemic and the boost they've gotten from the pandemic to really try to become a platform conglomerate by using M&A. And, and we've been very bullish on what we've seen out of Etsy and their ability to use M&A to continue to grow. Supply chain being broken. Just look at the shipping costs here, right? From $5,000 a container from China to, 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 the, to the U.S. West Coast to now 50, at, at its peak $20,000, now around $15,000, right? So four to three to four X. The travel time door to door doubling from like 40 days pre-pandemic to now almost 80 days. Cost to get it across and time to that lead time to get it across just extremely difficult. Amazon's GMV just exploding, but exploding thanks to third party sellers. Third party sellers just on fire, driving the bulk of these gains. Third party sellers were 200 billion in GMV in 2019, 300 billion in 2020, 390 billion. In 2021, estimated, right? You had a 50% gain from 2019 to 2020, and then a 30% gain on 300 billion in GMV to 390 billion. I mean, it's massive, massive swings as compared to the One Piece sales, which grew much slower. Still grew and grew very well, but grew much, much slower as compared to the growth from 3P sellers. Uh, more like a 14, 15% growth rate for 1P as opposed to 30% for 3P from 2020 to 2021. This was a fun visual. He mapped uh, Amazon's 3P sales at 390 billion would be the 37th largest country by GDP in the world. Uh, right after Denmark and right before Malaysia, basically. This I thought was a great graphic, really showing in 2021 was the year where Amazon's GMV surpassed all of Walmart's sales. Amazon's worldwide GMV, that includes 1P, 3P, Amazon doing over $600 billion, uh, $605 billion to be exact, worldwide GMV estimated for 2021 which should eclipse Walmart at an estimated $581 billion. So I'm going to assume that this $581 billion from Walmart is 
inclusive of their three P sales, um, not just sales revenue proper, right? Which, which, if it's just revenue, would not include Walmart e-commerce third-party sales. Make sense? And so, if, if that is the case, then actually Amazon did not beat Walmart. But I'm going to assume that that this 581 does include um, their three P sales. It's big deal. And this was Target's numbers. I mean, look, he's counting target number of sellers in their their uh, their y axis metric is 100 200 300 400 500 <laughs> number of sellers right walmart has 6500 third party sellers in china target has not even 500 third party sellers in total what are they doing on target plus our approach continues to be the same said brian cornell ceo We'll continue to make sure we curate very carefully and complement our store and online assortment. The result is they're just not moving fast enough and they're not going to meet consumer appetite and consumer demand fast enough. There is going to be a gap. And what they think is preserving quality, I would disagree. I think they're out of balance. They are being way too overzealous with the curation and they're missing a huge swath of demand from consumers that there are certain areas, certain categories, you could take a much more nuanced approach. Certain categories do need that curation, right? We've talked about, for example, Chewy is not a marketplace. Chewy is all one P. You don't want your dog to eat, you know, fake dog food or or um, have a chew toy that they can choke on, right? So it's absolutely categories that need that curation. Um, but there's absolutely categories that also don't. And you're missing the mark. So there's a great report. You know, there's a lot of other stuff in here. These are just some of the highlights that I think stuck out to me. Lots of marketplace activity, not slowing down, not going anywhere. Um, but very interesting takeaways here. Another big takeaway from COVID in, in 2021, another marketplace takeaway, but not on the B2C side. Instead, this time on the B2B side, saying that for the first time, there's going to be more B2B e-commerce sales than in-person through salespeople sales in B2B distribution in the United States for the year 2021. A big, 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 big deal paradigm shift, something we've been talking about now for a long time. Uh, we came out with our top 50 B2B marketplace ranking earlier this year in 2021. Go check that out. These B2B marketplaces have been on fire. These B2B marketplaces are really kind of like the tip of the spear uh, for what you see happening more broadly with e-commerce in B2B, right? There's a lot of things that we can learn by tracking, you know, what are the white hot B2B marketplaces doing? What are the things that they're focusing on and getting traction? And then how do you bring those insights back to more proper kind of uh, distributor e-commerce priorities? So there's a number of features and products that we've mapped from those marketplaces that we've been able to then zero in on to say, hey, these features are, are meeting a need that meets all B2B buyers' interests, whether it's marketplace or just linear e-commerce. But clearly now, with COVID being the accelerant, moving that consumer behavior in, in the B2B channel digital for the first time ever, you've got McKinsey coming out with this report saying that Buyers are more willing than ever to spend substantial amounts through remote or online sales channels, with 35% willing to spend half a million dollars or more in a single transaction. 77% of B2B customers are willing to spend 
$50,000 or more digitally. The next normal for B2B sales is here and there's no looking back. Businesses are no longer cautiously testing the waters incrementally inching their way online. The pressures from COVID have accelerated the shift. Yep. We now see a tipping point with e-commerce surpassing in-person selling as a sales channel at 65% versus 53% earlier this year. It's here. B2B has entered officially full hog, kicking and screaming all the way. Is it now a digital first industry, whether we like it or not? And the answer is we should like it. Actually creates an abundant amount of opportunity, particularly for large distributors. They have the scale, they have the capital, they have the capability to take advantage of new digital business models and make digital a huge core competency of their business. It's actually the, the smaller distributors, the mid-sized distributors that are kind of in a pickle to say, I don't have the budget to go and do this all in-house. What do I do? I'm going to have to look elsewhere. And am I going to go partner and use someone else's technology that's just going to screw me in a few years? Which is the strategy of a lot of, you know, VC-backed tech companies, right? I give, you the, I give you the tech today for free, but I'm going to screw you tomorrow. It's a very difficult thing to navigate. All the different verticals of B2B distribu distribution have their own nuance. And um, there's a lot of change, but also a lot of opportunity for the large distributors that lean in and invest and invest properly. So closing out, um, <clears throat> you know, been Kathy Wood, well, if you watch the show, you would see that we're actually somewhat skeptical of Kathy. You know, we actually have disagreed with her moves on multiple occasions. Your $17 billion flagship fund has fallen about 24% year to date. Yikes. Now, let's be fair. Her fund is down 24%. Our fund with Wisdom Tree, Plat, the uh, platform index, all the top public platform stocks put into a basket, you know, had a, had a gangbuster 2020. And year to date, Plat is down 3.2%. Uh, okay. So, but she's down like 25%. We're down 3.2%. Um, since inception, when it came out in May of 2019, we're still up 71% and dominated in, in the year of 2020. Dominated. Then, you know, 2021 has been flat now, a little bit down. Really just in the past few weeks, December has been, um, you know, really after Thanksgiving, the, the tech stocks have come off a lot. Now that we see that, oh yeah, you know, inflation's kind of a problem. Duh. Kind of need to raise interest rates a lot which we're still not doing, which is ridiculous. But anyway, going back to Kathy Wood, she's now said that they are going to make a 40% compound annual rate of return during the next five years. That's 40% a year. That's over 200% aggregate return over the next five years. So I think that what she's saying is, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, our fund is basically going to, if it's worth a dollar today, it's going to be, worth over $3 in five years. That's her statement. Um, some people will probably get sued for this. She won't just because I think she's, I don't know, got a lot of like juju around her these days. But who makes that kind of, uh, who, who makes those claims? It's ridiculous. It, it's not, you know, what, what, what a sound investor would say. What sound investor says, we're going to deliver 40% compounded annual returns the next five years. Who does that? It's not. It's not rational.
it's eccentric. And I don't know why you want to put your money with someone eccentric that wants to grab the headline. Like what, what good does that? Yeah. Okay. You're confident about how your fund's going to do. That's great. There's a whole myriad of ways that you can communicate that confidence without making these outlandish claims. I mean, and you also have a public investment vehicle. I mean, you, you, you could be leading people astray, you know, also. Oh, she said I was going to make 40% a year. Ridiculous. Well, that's it for us today on Winner Take All. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll talk to you soon.